So over the last couple of weeks, we've been sharing with you a few different topics, but it's all been around this big idea that you can't handle this. And really what we've been talking about is really handling life on your own. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about like the wisdom of God versus our wisdom and, you know, whose wisdom are you really looking to and relying on and thinking about and all those kinds of things, you know, and there are a lot of things for us that change. And and we can be uh, distracted or we can even, as the Bible talks about, we can lean to our own understanding, not acknowledging the Lord, even in his wisdom. Because we can just be, well, here's what I can see in the natural. Well, but there's a spiritual wisdom that is available to us. And we've been talking about these few things over the last uh, two weeks now. And so... Uh, you know, and even just the idea of this is that, and this is really kind of the big idea that I want you to get out of this series is that God is faithful, is that he can be trusted in the midst of every moment and every situation that we face, you know, but there are times that, that circumstances arise that we find ourselves in situations, predicaments, however you want to say it, where we get in over our heads, you know, and, and sometimes it's self-inflicted, you know, sometimes we put ourselves in situations and we're like, uh Oh, how'd I get here? But then there's other times that we may be in a situation and we're thinking, how did I get here? And we're overwhelmed by going, God, I can't handle this moment. I mean, I I think this week we can all see that where it's, we feel very helpless, even as a society, like, what do we do? Right? I mean, is anybody else alive and paying attention to what's going on in our nation right now? It's like, well, what do I do? There's nothing I can control about this thing. What do I do? How do I pray? I don't even know how to pray. Where do I start? All those kinds of things. And and we face even moments in our individual lives. You know, I was talking to a good friend of mine, I guess this week, or maybe it was the week before. And we were talking about the whole coronavirus thing and everything going on with it. And, you know, and this is something I know really close. And he was just telling and sharing with me kind of his experience. He's like, man, I got really freaked out at first. Like, he's like, I just really like fear really got a hold of me. You know, what, what do you do in those moments where fear is all you can sense and all you can see and all you can feel? How do you handle those moments? And so, and, and part of it is, is that sometimes there's that. And then there's also times where God will put us in an impossible situation. And it's by his purpose, by his plan. Like you get into a situation, maybe it's a, a job, that, a new job that you're like, oh yeah, I can get this. And then you get there and you're like, oh no, I'm not really qualified for this. And so you got to start believing God to help you. And that's a good thing. Why? Because sometimes we get in moments and God will put us in a position to what? To get really uncomfortable so that we will actually begin to rely on him like never before. And it forces us to rely on him. You know, Paul talked about and gives us an example of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 8 through 10, but... And some of you will be familiar, but this is called Paul's thorn in the flesh. He had a moment where he was like, I can't deal with this anymore. Like he was so frustrated. I mean, have you ever had one of those frustrated prayers where you're like, God, enough already? Like, I'm so over this. Anybody else? I've had a few of those in the last little bit. It's like, okay, God, seriously, like what's, what's going on? And, and Paul says here in verse eight, he says, three times I pleaded. And that's a nice way of saying that I begged with the Lord. To relieve me of this. But he answered me and said, my grace is always more than enough for you. For my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will now celebrate my weakness. For when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. 
I love this, the way the Passion Translation says this. It says, for my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. My weakness, my inability, my lack, the places that I get to and say, God, I don't know what else to do. I'm at the end of everything I can figure out. I've done everything I know to do, but this situation just isn't changing. Well, that's a good place to be, to be at one. Because when you get to that place, now you're in the position to actually receive of the power of God. Why? Because you have to, and unfortunately, and I think it's a human condition, is that sometimes God has to become our only option to become our main option. We'll go every other route and think through every other thing, talk to everybody else. And what, and the good news is, is that God doesn't say, I'm going to let you sit and think about it. No, God is gracious. He says, my grace is what? Is more than enough. And God will always give us grace in every season of life. So we have to begin to ask the question, okay, so how do I begin to tap into this power? How do I begin to tap into this, the the power and the presence of God like we talk about in church? Like how does that affect my Monday and my Tuesday and my Wednesday? How does that affect my life when I'm constantly overwhelmed by things? And the Bible's very clear about this. And, 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 and it is important that we answer this question and we, we, we wrestle with these things a bit because, and it's not that we have to wrestle with them, but what we do have to do is we have to come to a place of what does the Bible say? What does God's word have to tell us? And what does God speak in his word, giving us instruction? And the good news is, is that God's word always gives answers. It always gives solutions. We just have to be willing to look for them and to ask the Holy Spirit. You know, I was reading a book and I thought it was really cool the way it said it. It says, when I'm reading the Bible, I'm not just reading the account of random people who wrote parts of the Bible. Is it because of the Holy Spirit? I'm actually reading it with the author who can explain it. And I thought, how cool is that? I like that. But the reality is, is that we have the Holy Spirit that is available to us. He is a third of God. He is one third of the Trinity. And even when Jesus was walking on the earth, the way that God interacted and dealt with us as humanity, when Jesus died the death on the cross, was risen from the dead, and and we're going to look at some scriptures today that talk about all of this. He said that God was changing the way that he was going to interact with us as human beings, as individuals, and, and not only as individuals, but even as his family. God was changing the way that he operated in relation to us. In John chapter 14, Verse 16 and 17, Jesus says this because he's telling the disciples, hey, I'm getting ready to leave, but don't worry. He says, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate. Another translation would say a comforter or somebody to come alongside of you to help you, a helper. You know what? What do you need when you can't do something? A helper. You ever tried to go pick up something that was too heavy and thought, "Uh oh, <laughs> like I need some help. What do you, you need a helper. You need somebody to come alongside of you to what? To lighten the load, to help you do what you need to do. The good news is Jesus says, even though I'm leaving, he will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truth. Says the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But, and this is a key thing, it should be highlighted. There you go. But you know him. Now that word means that you know about him. You're familiar with him, like you're aware of him, right? So it's not like a a real knowledge, knowledge. It's just kind of like, that's a casual acquaintance. I've heard about the Holy Spirit. He says, you know him because he lives with you, but 
That's a key word. But he will be in you. Now, there's a big difference. Casual acquaintance to somebody like in the house with you. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had a friend, like a good friend, move in the house. Your relationship changed the day you became roommates, right? It's like, I thought I liked you. Now that's up for debate. I was just the guy that I knew I could never, I had like one or two friends. I was like, I think I might could live with you. I definitely can't live with you though, because I won't like you. We won't be friends anymore. And Jesus is saying, look, you know about the Holy Spirit. You have this casual understanding, but he's, but when he comes, he's what? He's later. And why did he say later? You ever thought about this? Like I'm big on words. Like I pay attention to to words in detail. That's why I like to highlight certain words because they stand out to me. And he says, later on, this is going to happen. In other words, it hadn't already happened. What Jesus is talking about was something that would happen in the future. I would encourage you throughout this week to read John chapter 14, 15, 16, even into chapter 17. Jesus is talking at length about the Holy Spirit and what it would be like to live with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that some people would say and, and, and have been told and have been taught and, and, and even believed that, well, I thought I got the Holy Spirit when I got saved. Let me say it this way. You can't get saved without the Holy Spirit's influence, but you can know his influence, but not know him. There is a difference. And I'll show you this through scripture is that because the thing is salvation is this. It's really accepting the lordship of Christ. And you're like, well, what does that mean? It means you're not your own. Jesus, I now live for you. I I live to be who you've called me to be, who you've created me to be. And so salvation is really about accepting what? Christ It's about accepting his sacrifice, his forgiveness for our sins. And if you want to get real technical about it, we are born again. We are saved by the Holy Spirit. So you can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. It's not possible. Why? Because in and of ourselves, we would never turn to God without the Holy Spirit's prompting. Without the Holy Spirit working in our life, it would never happen. Now this morning, we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what Pentecost is all about. It's about a moment in time that God changed everything. Now there's lots of debate, but there's not a lot of debate if you stick with Scripture. The Bible makes it really clear. But... So what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And really it's not of, it's really the baptism in the Holy Spirit. If you're going to be particular about it, which I kind of am. So, but the baptism in the Holy Spirit is about being empowered to live this life. So we get in these moments where it's like, man, I can't handle it. Well, guess what? There's a key that God has already given us, but we have to what utilize that gift. It is the Holy Spirit. But it is, a, it is a secondary experience after salvation. The Bible talks about three baptisms. There's the baptism of salvation, what we call getting saved. There's, the bab, there's water baptism. We do that right up there, right? Well, we get immersed in water. And what we're identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And then there is Holy Spirit baptism. The Bible confirms this, and I don't have time to get into all of it today, that's why, I, I, quite honestly, I wrote my notes this week, and when I transferred it from my, the app that I study in into what I, the one that I preach off of, it was way too long. 
Like I sent it to Joel, like just the, the word count, because I do it by a number of words, because I've gotten, I've kind of figured out how many. And I, I sent it to Joel, who makes all my the slides and stuff for us. And, and he said, man, that's going to be good if you're going to preach an hour. And uh, I said, I know, I've got to edit it down. So it's going to be a little bit before I get you the notes. And uh, so I was like, well, I, I'll just pick up on the rest of this next week then. So, but, uh, you know, but this is an important factor too. Because just as the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ at salvation, the Bible says and tells us, and we'll look at this some next week, is that Jesus baptizes us into the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about this, and and Jesus taught, and he said, just as John baptized with water, that there was what another who was coming who would what? Would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with power. That's what the Bible talks about. We'll look at this next week. But So let me give you just kind of, and this is a very casual example. But when we're talking about actually experiencing the presence and the goodness and the power of God, salvation is like getting a drink of water, like a cup. You get to experience it. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is like jumping in the pool. It's a very different experience. Why? Because there's a complete immersion. You're not like kind of wet. I mean, you know, you can't get in the pool and be kind of wet. You're wet, wet. I mean, it's just the way it is. And we see this even in scripture. And so I'm going to read a few verses here where Jesus is actually talking to the disciples. So the guys who had been with him, hanging out with him, seeing all the things that he did. And here's the key is, you know, because I know sometimes we can struggle like, man, I just, how did Jesus do what Jesus did? By the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're supposed to be like Jesus, how did he do it? Well, he didn't do it because he was perfect. He did it because he was empowered. And that's good news for us. He was perfect. I'm not saying he wasn't, but that's not the reason that the power of God operated in his life. It operated because the Bible says he had the Holy Spirit without measure, without any restraint. And here he's talking to the disciples in John 20. And in verse 19, starting in verse 19, it says that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. So Jesus has already been crucified. So they're afraid which was kind of the hallmark of the disciples after Jesus' crucifixion. It says that they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. It says that suddenly Jesus was standing there among them, and he said, Peace be with you. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and in his side. It says they were filled with joy as they saw the Lord. It says again, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And it says, And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an interesting thought here, but the reality is is that Jesus had already made salvation available to the disciples. Why? Because he had already died and had risen from the dead. The Bible says he had already ascended to the throne of God to pay the price of humanity's sin. And yet, here we see this as a secondary moment that Jesus is with the disciples. And in Luke, it gives us another account. The Gospels, many times, will... relate the same story, but gives us another perspective. And here in John, it says that Jesus breathed on them. Don't worry, I'm not breathing on anybody today. But he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive, and that word is very important. Why? You have to be willing to accept the Holy Spirit's influence in your life. He's not going to make you do anything. That's not the way God operates. But in Luke chapter 24, verse 49 He says, and this is Jesus speaking again. He says, now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father has promised. He says, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Now, again, 
They've already experienced salvation at this point. They put their faith in Christ as the Messiah, as the one who would pay the price of their sins. And Jesus is saying, don't stop, go until the Holy Spirit, what, comes and fills you with something. He's going to what? He's coming to, to fill you up because right now you're an empty vessel. You got saved, but you, you're running on E and the Holy Spirit needs to come and fill you up. It's like you got the, the keys to a brand new car, but it, oh, we forgot to tell you, there's no gas in the tank. So sometimes, and look, and I lived here for a long time as a Christian where I was just frustrated, man. I was trying really hard to do right. You know, do the do's and don't do the don'ts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And man, and, and you know what the result of that was? A whole lot of frustration and failure. Because I was trying to do it in and of myself. It's like trying to get behind a car and push it. That's hard. Like, that's not fun. And yet that's where a lot of Christians are. They're behind the car trying to push the car. Why not put some gas in the tank and go crank it? Why not? Because that's the way God designed it, actually. He, he designed us to, to run by the power and the ability and the person of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know, even this subject, and I know we have all varying backgrounds and thoughts and teachings and all kinds of things. But this is quite possibly one of the greatest sticking points of, of theology in all of Scripture. It divides the Christian world greatly. Why do you think that is? Do you think the devil might be afraid of it a little bit? Because he knows there's nothing I can do with people who have this understanding. Why? Because they turn into like little Jesus and one Jesus was bad enough. I don't need a bunch more running around. And yet, but man, this has been an unbelievably divisive issue in the church. But again, if we stick with scripture, that's all I'm at. Don't believe what I tell you. Listen to the scriptures that I'm reading to you. I'm not giving you my opinion. I, I have quite a few scriptures today. Why? Because I want that to be your source of belief, not something that I tried to convince you of. Because if I can convince you of it, somebody else can convince you out of it. If the word of God shows you, then it's a totally different situation. So we see in Acts chapter 1, Jesus shows up again to the disciples for 40 days after resurrection. Jesus rose, which we celebrate on Easter. He rose for 40 days. The Bible says he just showed up randomly. He'd just show up in the room, just standing there like, hey, <laughs> you know, how y'all doing today? And they would get freaked out. So he, this was just, I, I think it's Jesus' sense of humor, quite honestly. <laughs> Boo, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's just my opinion. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think Jesus has a pretty good sense of humor, but I mean, that's what I would do anyways. I would just randomly show up and like, you know, just mess with people. And I think Jesus probably did because I think the disciples he knew and, you know, he wasn't always so spiritual that he just wasn't fun to be around. These guys were like his friends. They had relationships. So I'm sure he knew things about them that knew would kind of like get them. And I think he probably did that a lot during this time. That's just my opinion. It's not in scripture, but I like to think of it that way. But in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is giving instructions to the disciples. And again, it kind of repeats what, it's, what we saw there in Luke. And it says, do not leave Jerusalem. Do not leave the city until the Father sends the gift that he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, he says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive ability. That word is... 
in the original language is dunamis. It's where we get dynamite. It's explosive power. And I'm going to show you a very real example of a person that we can see in Scripture where we see this power change them in a moment of time. Now, I can tell you, when I got saved, I grew up in church. But when I got saved, like for real, like I wasn't playing church, like I met Jesus, I began to change. And when I, and, and, and for me, I got saved and filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the same week. I mean, I was raised in church. I was raised in a, in a church that believed in the baptism. So I knew a lot about it. But I also knew that I had tried to live for God for years. And every year it lasted like a week or two, maybe three at best. That was on a really good year. And I thought, God, I can't just do this the way I've always done it. I need something more. And I always wanted, and I'm an analytical person. I always wanted to try to figure it out. And how does this work? And how does that work? And eventually my desire for it overwhelmed my desire to understand it. And I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't difficult. It wasn't hard. But there is some, and here's the thing. Because it happened to me. When I got back around some of my old friends, they would say things like, you've changed. Like, I didn't have to tell them. Why? Because I was living under a new power that I'd never had before. They knew a version of me in the past, but this was a different version. They knew the guy who was pushing the car, not the guy in the driver's seat with the car running. And now they were experiencing the guy kind of revving the engine a little bit, just like any other good teenage kid does in a car, right? Why? Because I was excited about what, why? Because I wasn't just experiencing, wasn't experiencing religion. I was actually experiencing something of real substance. And it really began to change me. And it continues to this day. I shared with you earlier, I had one of those moments right over there yesterday. Where God just comes in and it's like, hey, I, let me fill you up. Okay. It, this, is, this is vital to us as, as believers. And I believe it's even more vital in the days that we are living in and the days that I believe we will be living in. Because church alone will not be enough. I'm going to go hear a message and I'm going to be good. A message is good for the 45 minutes, hour, hour and 15, whatever that you're sitting in this room. But what about tomorrow? What about Tuesday when that phone call comes? What are you going to do? Where do you turn when things are overwhelming and it's like, man, I can't handle this moment. It's too much for me. Here in Acts, it says that what we have a promise from God. It is the presence. It is the power, the ability of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, don't leave anywhere until you go, until you receive the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit, you'll receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. See, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an infilling experience. It's filling up the tank, if you will. And it, it, but this takes place when we open up our lives to God without reservation. Like take all the limits off and we begin to what? We ask him to immerse us, to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. But you have to ask for it. God's not going to force it on you. He didn't force you to get saved. He's not going to force the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just tell you something real quick, just so everybody understands what I'm communicating and what I'm not. I don't believe that just because you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can speak in tongues, you can prophesy, you can do all those great things. I'm all for all of those. It does not make you a better Christian than anybody else. You're not going to get like some extra jewel in your crown in heaven. I mean, we're not going to be walking around heaven and be like, that guy spoke in tongues and that guy didn't. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be like that. Why? 
Because the baptism of the Holy Spirit has everything to do with this life. You won't need to speak in tongues when you're in heaven. There will be zero purpose. Why? Because you will see and know everything as it is. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about this next week, about why this is so important. And practically, how does this work? But we, we need this power in our life because we do face things that we don't know. Acts chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, On the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled. All the disciples were gathered in one place. It says, And suddenly there was the sound of a violent blast of wind. In other words, a whole lot of noise was happening. Into the house from out of the heavenly realm. It says the roar of wind was so overpowering. It was all that anyone could bear. And it says then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. And it separated into tongues of fire and engulfed each one of them. And I know that's a whole lot of like what in the world's happening. I know that's a lot of verbiage to this is what happened. God showed up in the room. God in the person of the Holy Spirit showed up in the room with them. And here's the thing. Jesus said, don't go anywhere. Like don't leave the city. He told that to 500 people. And yet on this, there were 120 people. So 380 people found something else better to do than to do what God said. Remember, this is Jesus, the one who died and rose from the dead said, don't skip this moment. I mean, here's, here's the nail hands, put your finger, put them in my side. And they still found something else to do. Now, we can all find things to do that are distracting from what God has for us. But it goes on and it says that in this moment, so the Holy Spirit shows up and it says that they were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to begin to speak in tongues. Now, let me just, because I realize, again, depending on what you've been told, some people say, well, that was only for the early apostles. Well, there were only 12 and there were 120 in the room. And the Bible says they all got filled. So that, that debate goes right out the window with the very first moment that we see that it ever happened in Scripture. It wasn't just for the 12. Because there were a lot of people in the room who weren't apostles or prophets or they weren't the guys per se. These were people who were just followers of Jesus. And the Bible says they were all filled and they began to speak in other tongues. They began to speak in other languages as they were empowered or enabled by the Spirit to speak in languages that they had never learned. Now, this is a phenomenon. This isn't always the case. And I'll tell you why I believe this in just a moment. What happened is they began to speak in languages that they did not know. So it'd be like... Many of us who we know sort of English, we mostly know English, you know, more or less. It would be like if you started speaking French and you knew nothing about French. That's what's happening on the day of Pentecost. If you didn't know Spanish, all of a sudden you would speak in Spanish. Now, you didn't know you were speaking. Why? Because you don't know the language. But this is what's happening. There's 120 people up in this room. The Holy Spirit shows up and they begin to speak in foreign languages to them. And then all of a sudden, because people heard the noise, you know, sometimes we hear booms and we're like, what just happened at the plants? You know, I mean, you know, kind of thing. Think of it like that. Like people heard the noise of this moment. So people came. Why? Because we're curious, right? I mean, we hear tornado sirens, which we don't hear much here. But, you know, I used to live in Kansas, tornado sirens. Everybody walks outside and be like, where's it at? You know, <laughs> we're curious by nature. Got some of my Kansas friends over here. They laugh because they know it's true. I got to know more neighbors with the tornado sirens going off than at any other point. That's a true story. But this is what's happening. 
And so they come out of this upper room and all these people from all these nations are bewildered. They're like, why am I hearing this person speak in my native tongue? But I can see they're not from my country. Now, some people would actually tell you that this is, this is what tongues is about. Is that it's solely about speaking in a foreign language and it usually happens with missionaries on the foreign field and, and all these kinds of things. But that's all that it's for. I can tell you that's not true 100%. 100% I can tell you that's not accurate. Like, well, how do you know that? Because I've experienced it. One time. Me and Darrell were in Brazil. And I was praying, getting ready for a service. I'd been in the country less than 24 hours. I've never heard Portuguese in my life. And I was praying, getting ready for a service. And the pastor's daughter came to knock on our door. And we had to use a, a tablet to translate, like I would type in English and hit translate, go to Portuguese, I'm like, here you go, and she'd type, and like, dinner's ready, let's go eat, you know, I mean, kind of deal. Well, I didn't know about it, we stayed with them for five days, on my last day there, I hear my translator say, can I tell him that, and she begins to tell me that I was praying in perfect Portuguese, like perfect. I ain't that smart, like I can tell you. I mean, I had a hard time learning one word in Portuguese, and remembering that, like, did I say it right? No, okay. And, and so, of course, I'm like, well, what did I pray? I want to know. And she began to tell me exactly what I prayed. Here's the thing, though. I knew the difference. Like, I didn't know it, know it. But there was something different about my personal, private prayer language and that moment. Like, I actually thought somebody was, was talking outside of my door. Because I actually went and looked out the window because I thought somebody was outside when I heard it. So I can tell you, even from my own experience, now that's, could that ever happen again? I think it's pretty awesome. I experienced it one time. I go, why would God do that? I actually think it had to do with that pastor's daughter. And I think because that's what the Bible says. It's a sign to an unbeliever. And I think it probably confirmed something because she knew I couldn't talk to her. But yet she could hear my prayer. But I knew it was different. So I'm not saying that can't happen. And it did happen on the, on the day of Pentecost. But it was even different. And so what happens is because of this moment... All these people who are hearing the gospel being preached for the first time to them, coming out of Pentecost, they all of a sudden say, hey, I want to, I mean, I, I need to get saved. They're, they're hearing the gospel about Jesus. And, and so they have this massive revival in this moment. And they begin to ask, and, and Peter, who has now been filled with the Holy Spirit, remember Peter is the coward, right? Peter is the one who denied three times. He said, Jesus, I'll go to the grave with you. And, you know, I'll never back away from you. The coward gets turned into the, the, the main point preacher on this day. What's the difference from coward to the bold apostle? It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It changed him in that moment. And he gets up and he begins to, to, to declare and to speak to everybody. And he responds and says that we must, because they're asking like, well, what must we do? And he says, you have to repent and return to God. This is verse 38 of Acts 2. He says, return to God and each of you must be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus the anointed one, to have your sins removed, that's salvation, then, that's a key word, then, let me say this, you can't get baptized in the Holy Spirit if you are not saved. It's not possible. It's not possible. But we have to, what? Because he says what? You get baptized in the name of Jesus, salvation, then you may, you may take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit. You get saved, then you can take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit. For God's promise, because this, and I'm about to throw away another theological debate here. Like, well, that passed away. Well, that doesn't line up with Scripture. For God's promise of the Holy Spirit is for you, generation one, 
your families, and to those who are not even born, and for everyone whom the Lord calls himself. Another translation says it this way, to, your kid, to you, to your children, and to those afar off. Well, guess what? We are those who are afar off. We're 2,000 plus years. I think we qualify. It didn't stop with the first century church. God still desires for this to work in our lives. Now, you know, and, I, and look, I know that there are lots of stereotypes. I know that there are people who have had lots of bad experiences. I have too. But have you ever heard the expression, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater? Sometimes we have a bad experience. We're like, man, that person was nuts. They were wacky. I don't want nothing to do with that. That's so scary. God is not scary. God is not disorderly. God will not make you do anything. I like to say it this way is that the Holy Spirit is not weird. People are weird. And as a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit will not make you any weirder than you already were. So don't blame the Holy Spirit for somebody's foolishness. Some people are just a little over the top. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit and even about receiving the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 11. It says, and he gives us an example. And many times people quote this verse and they never actually keep it in the context of what it's actually the subject, if you will. But it says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit. It didn't say that you would earn the Holy Spirit. He said he would give you the Holy Spirit to those who would ask. See, God gives good gifts. He doesn't give bad gifts. He gives good gifts to people. But we have to what ask and receive the Holy Spirit. See, we didn't earn salvation. The Bible talks about that very clearly. Look, salvation is what? It's of grace, not of work, so that nobody can brag and say, look what I did. I deserve God's grace. No, 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 no. Jesus paid the price that we could never pay. It's surely an act of God's love towards us and that salvation is now a free gift that we have to accept, that we have to receive. And in the same way, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, it's not that you check off a bunch of boxes So that now, okay, well, I've matured enough spiritually so I can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I have friends of mine that I personally know who got saved and filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the same time. Like in the same prayer, the people just didn't stop. They just say, you know, we lead people in the prayer of salvation and they just kept saying, and I ask you to fill me with the the power of the Holy Spirit, with the evidence. God says, I'll let you figure it out after the fact. You have to be saved, Yes. But you can get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit 10 seconds later, 10 minutes later, 10 months later, 10 years later. It's a decision that we have to make to receive it. We have to receive it by what? By faith. It's not a feeling. Oh, I just, you know, man, I felt something in that service today. It's not about a feeling. It's faith. It's saying, God, I want everything that you have for me. If you have it, if you made it ready for me, if it's a gift, I want it. Why wouldn't we want it? So let me help you real quick. You know, and quite honestly, I was like, okay, we have social distancing rules. And the way that I've always known, like people getting filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is you got to come down here and let somebody pray for you. So we're not going to do that today, but it's okay because in the book of Acts, nobody prayed for them either. 
The Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to speak. And they began to, what? Be empowered. So I'm going to stick with the Bible. Not with our traditions. Okay? So I want to help you though. Is How do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Here's a couple of things real quick. Number one is you got to remove any barriers. And some of that's bad teaching. In other words, you got to not allow those things to dictate to you. Here's another thing, though, is that you've got to confess any known sin, anything that you know about. You say, Lord, I, I know that I've missed it in these areas. You're like, well, why does this matter? Is it ever a bad time to ask for forgiveness from the Lord? I don't know, uh, you know. I think it, it keeps us in mind that he paid the price for our sins. And so we do that. So that's number one, confess any known sin. Ask the Lord, and you may have to ask the Lord, say, hey, is there anything in me that I'm offended about? Is there anything in me that I'm holding on to? Is there any unforgiveness in my life? Because you do know that those things are sin, right? Like unforgiveness and bitterness, and those are actually sinful things. We have to let go of those things. Why? Because those things can actually be hindrances to us receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's one that I struggled with. I already mentioned it a little bit. But don't let your mind get in the way of your heart. The Bible says that Jesus, in John 14, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come as your guide. In other words, he's going to lead you where you need to go. Don't trust in your own wisdom. Trust in the wisdom of God. Don't let your mind get in the way. Because this is a gift that God wants to give every one of us. It's not for a select few. And I know some people pull the verses out of 1 Corinthians 14 and say, yeah, but it says some people have the gift of tongues. That's a completely different gift. That's a public tongue. We're talking about a private, personal prayer language to God. Two very different things. Yet this is a a private language. And I I said this earlier, but this is so to kind of help. What do you mean? Don't let your mind get in the way. You got to have a desire for this more than you have a desire to understand it. Once you experience it, you don't have, you're like, I get it. It's like trying to explain to somebody what it's like to be saved that's not saved. They're like, that just don't make no sense. I'm like, yeah, but I sent something different in my heart. I, I can't put it into words. This is real similar. Number three. So confess sin. Don't let your mind get in the way. Number three is you have to ask for God's gift. And it is for all of us, not a select few. It's for everybody. Number four, you have to receive it by faith. I didn't feel anything. That's okay. We don't live by our feelings. We don't live by our own thoughts. We live by faith, right? No, it's I believe that I receive. I, I, I receive it right now. And here's the fifth thing. This is more of a practical thing after the fact. Is it, and this, so how do, I, how do I live in faith when you pray in English, when you're praying in your normal day-to-day life from this point forward? You ought to expect your spirit man to kick in. I don't know how else to say it. I wish I had words, but I don't. I heard somebody one time say that praying in the spirit is like stepping over a log. And once you make that first step, you can go. Why? Because it's not you praying. It's the Holy Spirit praying through you. But when you're even praying in English, you ought to have an expectation that your spirit man is going to begin to pray through you. Because that's really what's happening. So you got to remember, it's a gift that God wants you to have. You can't earn this. You just have to accept it. That God, the same way that, I mean, the same faith that you got saved with is the same faith that you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not any different. You just have to say, I don't deserve it, but, but you gave it to me, so I want it. 
And, and so, you know, and, and as I said, too, this is a private thing between you and the Lord. No one's going to force you to do anything. And, and you know, I know there's silly things people say like, well, I just don't want to be walking down the aisle in Walmart and all of a sudden I start praying in the spirit. That's not going to happen. If I wanted to, I could start praying in the spirit right now. And I could do it for five seconds and stop. And then I could start and pray for 30 seconds and then stop. The Holy Spirit does not control you. You yield to him. There's a big difference. I mean, sometimes we do goofy things and we blame it on God, but it, no, it's just people being strange. But if you think about it, really, what is, what is this prayer language? It's a, it's a, and we'll talk, I'll go more into detail about what a prayer language actually is next week. Again, I had way too many notes, so I did the best I could to get everything in that I can today. But it's a, it's a direct line to heaven. The Bible says it's the Holy Spirit praying the perfect will of God in your life. The perfect will of God. So, man, if I was like, hey, if you wanted to pray the perfect prayer all the time, and, and we'll look at some of this next week as well. But Paul said, look, I'm going to pray, and in, in, for our context, I'm going to pray in English, and I'm going to pray in the Spirit. I'm going to do both. So my encouragement for you today is that you would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to be anything crazy, weird, strange, none of that. But I'm going to lead you in a prayer in a moment. And if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can. It's not complicated. You just have to receive it by faith. Before I do that, though, I want to make sure that everybody in the room is actually saved first. Because you can't get the baptism of the Holy Spirit without being saved. And so, if you wouldn't, would you just bow your heads with me? Look, no looking around. I'm not gonna, we're not going to take a long time with this. But if you're here today and you say, man, I need some power. I'm facing a lot of things that I can't handle right now. Or maybe you just think back into moments and you're like, man, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by situations and I, I need that ability. But you said, I need to give my heart to Jesus first. I need to, to surrender to his lordship first. Really, all that is, it's an acknowledgement of that, hey, we are sinful and we need a savior. That's what it's all about. And if you're here today, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything like that today. I'm just going to ask you to, to repeat this prayer after me and just mean it in your heart. The Bible says you have to believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is and that he did what the Bible says he did. And it says if you confess that with your mouth that you will be saved, you can be confident of that. And so if you would, would everybody just pray this with me and say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you right now for all that Jesus did for me. That he paid the price for my sins to be forgiven. That I could walk in his life. And I thank you for it now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so now we got that one out of the way. Here's the next one. If you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm not calling you down here. You're going to do just what we just did. This is a private decision between you and the Lord. But I believe the Holy Spirit's going to meet you right where you're at. You know, you may feel something, you may not. That's okay. Again, we don't live by feelings, we live by faith. And you're going to allow the Holy Spirit to help walk you through this journey. And so I'm going to lead you in another prayer. And we're simply going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us up. So you can bow your heads with me. 
Say, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I ask you right now to fill me up with the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I can have a prayer language directly to you. That would be your perfect will for my life. And I receive it now in the name of Jesus. Amen.